Jam is finally a comic, a really, really, really good comic. The writer's our guest, ooh, on our podcast. Kelly Thompson's our guest, no one else is the same, and we can't complain. So it's Monday night, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that dares to mix comics and politics. Uh, this is the show for the vocal minority who have no problem about being vocal. Uh, tonight we have a <laughs> very special episode um, with two folks joining us. Um, first up is um, Kelly Thompson, who is the writer of the brand new Gem and the Holograms series from IDW, IDW Publishing that hits shelves this Wednesday, March 25th. Uh, in addition to the upcoming Gem and the Holograms, Kelly is the writer of Story Killer and the girl who would be king, as well as a co-writer of Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps. Uh, welcome, Kelly. And then also joining us is Emma, no stranger to the show. Uh, she's been on numerous times before. Um, Emma is uh, a queer blogger uh, for hire out of Vancouver, British Columbia, and DC Comics reviewer for the Rainbow Hub. Welcome, Emma. It's great to have you both on the show. Good to be back. Emmy. And giving us an awesome intro, uh very brave intro <laughs> is my much more uh much more I guess fearless co host, Alana. How you doing? <laughs> Thanks. I you know the least the least you can do, um is remind people of that theme song that is always in our hearts and minds. And um, I, I mean, perhaps I should leave the lyrics writing to Kimber Benton in the future. I'm okay with that. <laughs> but. 30 years, I still remember that theme song. All right, so... Uh, See, that's what I mean, song. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so um, I was very excited when this comic was announced, and one of the reasons why we were so wanted to have an episode about the Gem comic is this is one of the Gem... TV show and the dolls that came out in the 80s were literally the only piece of intellectual property marketed to girls that ever spoke to me as a kid. This was the only girly show I ever watched and the only like dolls with brushable hair that I ever purchased. And I think what made it unique was that it was a world where women protagonists were the whole story and they were in rock bands. You know, I grew up watching the Beatles movies. I know that there's other kids who probably grew up, you know, watching the monkeys and things like that. And to see women doing, having those same kinds of hijinks and fun and to have really, really brightly colored, awesome hair in the same process um, was really special. And the show was a lot more action-driven than I think any of the other properties that were supposed to be sold to us at the time were. Uh, upon later rewatching of the show now as an adult, um, it's quite impressive some of the things that it does. Um, you know, the, the cast is more diverse than you would have been, than, than, you know, a lot of other shows at the time and everyone has a distinct personality, and the supporting cast of male characters is actually interesting and diverse, too, and definitely supporting and not in the lead. Uh, and so when it was announced that IBW was hiring the dream team of people who fans had wanted to have working on this book since whispers began buzzing around on the Internet in the first place, uh, we knew it was definitely a match made in heaven. Um, and now that we have the results as reviewers with our review copies in our very hands, uh, I could not be more excited about this book. This is really fantastic, and I think it's a great direction for comics to be taking right now. Um, so I, I know Emma was really eager to get on this particular uh, episode and talk with you guys, too. Emma, do you want to say a little bit about why it was so important for Gem and the comics for you? Oh, for sure. I mean, we're like, we are always planned uh, at the Rainbow Hub to cover the title from the very beginning um, because of the potential audience and the artists involved and that this was a signifying thing for a huge part of our reading audience who have hit that age where they watched it as kids and now they want to read about it as adults. Whereas for me, I mean, I was four years old when Jam went off the air, so it was never something that really caught on for me back then. But it was more that as soon as I knew that Sophie Campbell was going to be involved in it, that was a huge thing. When those, you know, when Ellen had said those, those early pictures started coming out and the rumors of who was going to be on this comic – that one was like, well, I mean, this could have been anything. I would have read G.I. Joe if if that's who is behind it, right? <laughs> it, <it's, laughs> yeah. Uh, that was kind of the thing because, I mean, 
I've followed her career since I think I'm going to say 2005 was when I first um, found her work on like on DeviantArt or what have you. But she was also the first comics professional I ever uh, interviewed way back in 2006 um, on preview night at, at the San Diego Comic Con when The Abandoned was coming out, and she was one of like she was actually pretty much the first artist to me that pointed out the concept or gave me the concept of body diversity in comics. I read a lot of mainstream stuff, um, you know, some Top Cow and uh, an image and that kind of stuff. Hmm. Not not a ton of DC and Marvel, but even in my own artwork, it was like, you drew like that because that's the way it was. It wasn't something I'd really put the pieces together on. And then I would see stuff like Wet Moon and The Abandoned. I was like, wow, there's just actually a whole galaxy out there of you know, better or more interesting ways to go about this. Like, wow, this is cool. They, you know, these people look like people, look like cool people that I want to hang out with. And and that's something that, you know, you even see to this day in terms of her fan base. Like, you, you go on her time when you see the outpouring of support um, for this title and for her coming out and all that stuff. Um, and I see it hit again and again and again no matter how they phrase it, it's body diversity, body diversity, body diversity. It's one of the key things that that drives that uh, that attachment to her work. Um, and, and so it was hugely fundamental to me, you know, when she made the decision to come out publicly because I was like, wow, you know, we met that one time and talked that one time, but I've followed her career this whole time since, and we've had somewhat of a parallel journey in that respect. So, it's just been a whole bunch of like, wow, this was a cool project. You know, it's going to have cool art with somebody that I admire. And then it was bang, the Kimber and Stormer thing. And then this, and it's just like, wow, there's literally no comic I want to read more than this because of that entire combination, really. Fantastic. Definitely want to plus one that, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so, Kelly, clearly you're going yeah. against a very tough audience here. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it to be stacked in my de- in my favor. It gives me half a chance, so it's good. Well, so we've done a lot of talking. Uh, so the question I always like to start when we have a creator on the show is, how did you get into comics and actually start? Like many many people my age, the thing that really broke me into comics big time was the X Men animated series that was on in the mid nineties. Um, I, I did read Archie comic books as a, as a young kid, like begging my mom to get them for me at the grocery store kind of thing. Um, and I loved them. I was sort of a little bit fanatical about them. So I, you know, it's a little unfair to Archie to not give them credit for, um, the initial real, um, start of reading comics. But, um, you know, the X-Men, that TV show, and not long after we saw that TV show, my brother saw, you know, Storm on the cover of a Uncanny X-Men 290, it was, and brought it home, and he's like, look, look, this is that girl from the cartoon, and it was like my whole world kind of changed, and I discovered comic book shops, and the idea of having a pull, and like, just the vast world that was comics, whereas with Archie's because it was this little thing I was getting. I didn't know this whole other world existed. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, and that was how I got into superhero comics. And then, you know, it all kind of, you know, it's like everyone's got a slightly different path once they kind of break in and see all this stuff there is. And I think mine was pretty basic. I mean, I, I, I started reading in the mid-90s, which was a kind of a rough time. <laughs> I mean, there were some interesting things happening with the industry changing and everything, but particularly for female characters and the kind of characters I was, you know, super interested in. It was, it was a little rough, but, uh, you know, it just starts finding what you love, and then I eventually went to school to study it because I loved it so much, and, you know, the rest is history, I guess. And I know that, you know, I've been reading your, your writing about comics, uh, online for quite some time. Um, you know, you've been one of the most outspoken uh, women talking about comics, uh, mainstream comics that I've seen. And it, how did you make your transition from, you know, being a 
like a, a, a you know a, a, a someone who was writing about comics to being someone who was writing a comic now. Um, I mean, you know, like I said, I went to school to study, so I've always been a create. I've been on the creative side of things. I stepped back from comics for a while, and I was writing novels, so I kind of had moved away from it. And you know, I think anyone who reads a lot of mainstream comics or a lot of people uh, suffer from burnout sometimes and it's a lot of money to spend on a hobby and though there are a lot of rewards it can also be really frustrating too and especially if you have some kind of you know I have a lot of feminist ideals that that especially in the 90s and early 2000s are rubbing against comics in really unpleasant ways so I would suffer from burnout and kind of walk away and um one of the times that I came back and I have stayed back in since was I think like 2005, 2006, getting into it again. And I was just, you know, I had a blog at that point and I was kind of, you know, I was seeing these things in comics that were really exciting me and then I was also seeing these things that were really pissing me off. And so mm-hmm. I would just start blogging about them a little bit and, I think from some random, I think I was writing something about Rogue and Rogue's co- uh, some covers that that Brian Cronin had featured on Comics Should Be Good or something, and how even though I thought it was a good post, I you know I thought it was really not that great for Rogue. Like it was supposed to be her most iconic covers, and like one of the covers was basically a Wolverine cover, and I was like, how is that mm. her most iconic cover? And, and, uh, you know, I was just kind of writing about that on my blog, and Brian ended up getting in touch with me, and he's like, I think you should write for us. And so there, She Has No Head was born, and from there, you know, it just kind of went on. Um, and then to tra- so to transition back kind of feels, you know, I kind of fell into talking about comics in a more, I don't like to say it as in a journalism way, but I guess it's kind of in that vein, um, that was sort of an accident almost, um, whereas doing writing comics was something I, you know, wanted to do and had planned to do for a long time. So, you know, I just, you know, I was working on my pitches in my spare time and developing stories and making connections. And, you know, I mean, I spent years doing it, like five years plus kind of building a network of people who, you know, thought I had something interesting to say and writing pitches and writing my novels and, you know, building up some kind of, you know, I don't want to say renowned, but, you know, some kind of reputation as a creator. Mm-hmm. So I had some work to, work to show. And, you know, finally, after some time, I got, you know, I got knocking on enough doors that someone was like, all right, you can pitch and, you know, the next, you do it enough, eventually, if, if, you, if you've got something, someone will let you through. So, you know, so it worked out. Um, How, Mike, oh, sorry. Oops, go ahead. Um, you? I, I, sorry, I guess my, my question would be, first one stemming from this is, um, what if any history... Um, do you have with licensed comics like this as a reader? Uh, you know, you talked about Archie and superhero comics, but was there anything that falls under a similar domain to what you're doing now that you have in your own history as a reader that kind of might inform what you want to do or don't do on this title? Uh, I, I would say probably not enough. Um, I would say the only comic that I have any kind of serious experience with I mean like I've dabbled here and there but I would say Sophie's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and not because I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles but just because I be and I read a lot of her work um, and I'm interested in it and so I would say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are are one that I have some experience with you know seeing as a, a how they adapt and how that differs from a licensed property that exists in another way or exists in a previous or earlier form. Um, but but not a lot of experience. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, I, I think, you know, IDW in particular has a really great reputation for doing this very well. And so I think, um, you know, I, I'm in good hands and I have a lot of editors and smart people who, you know, tell us when we go the wrong direction or, encourage us to go other directions but um yeah no i i 
personally, that's not something I have as much experience with. So kind of going off of that, um, you know, Hasbro owns the rights for, for Gem. Um, what type of input do they have on that? I'm always kind of interested in seeing, like, what the the toy company, you know, how they interact with the actual comic creators. You know, I was kind of fine going in because you hear a lot of horror stories. Uh, but um, not Hasbro, but about, you know, like corporate ideas and, like, having to put a through a corporate process doesn't always you know, be the best for So I was a little afraid, and they've been awesome. They've been awesome. I think the old we've had that we go back and forth about is the length of God. That is the only anyone seems to have with anything. Um, I, they've been completely encouraging on the body thing. They've been Diversity, I'm sorry, you're, you're, you're breaking up. You're breaking up quite a bit. Can, can you repeat what you're saying? You said that they were good about body diversity, which is awesome to hear. And then I didn't catch what you said yeah. after that. They were great diversity, and they're really great at um, with letting us on other kinds of diversity that makes sense. Uh, a mom having some, you know, peace. A plot I'm all in there. I think they get that it's always reverse, even back in the mid 1980s, and so a modern version of that have even more of that. Um, yeah. Really supportive of us changing Jetta to a blah, which was actually Christy Mark's original intention uh, back mm-hmm. in the day. Um, you know, we, they've been great about that. Like, seriously, I'm, I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. It's really been arguments about skirt length. That's the biggest fight anyone's had, <laughs> which, which is sort of pretty like minor. Like your mom, right? Thing. Like, <laughs> like arguing, <laughs> arguing, arguing, arguing about the skirt length. I'm like, yeah, that's like having a disagreement with your mom, pretty much. Um, but that is, yeah. that is great that they're supporting this other kinds of diversity in the book. I know that you just announced that Stormer. And I was also going to be a lesbian. I've heard that well, Kimber is clearly a lesbian from uh, from what the book says, at least, or um, in the little character profiles. But that was really cool to hear. She's not going to be the only lesbian character, so that's really great. Um, and, and, and it's well, great to see that in a proper. Go ahead. I'm sorry, you're breaking up a little bit. Sorry, we've got a. Sorry, we've got a little. Uh, uh, yeah, no. Uh, Kimber will actually be in a relationship together or or seeing if one can develop. So uh, we're super excited about that. Wow, rival band. It's funny because I'm <laughs> sure that there are people who've been shipping that relationship since they were kids. So there, there, there are many. There are many. And there's, you know, a lot of good argument for, you know, there's a, there's a very famous episode where Stormer and Kimber are mad at their respective groups and they, like, go off on their own and, like, find interest, immediate chemistry together and, like, become, uh, become you know, a duo. Uh, I was going to say solo artists, but I guess by definition no longer <laughs> if they team up. So, yeah, they become solo artists together and just for, like, one episode have this, like, beautiful, magical friendship and everything and and the show's pretty good about from there on out like not having them be enemies like they're friends kind of um but there it's really easy to look at that episode and look at some kind of like double meanings and things i i doubt that's what was actually intended but it's very easy to see if you look at it with you know even the slightest open mind like i mean stormer has a picture of kimber beside her bed, like looks at it longingly. I mean it's pretty it's pretty wow. um it's 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 just this side of canon, um, you know, so I there are a lot of people that were excited about that. I, I we didn't do it because of that. It was more just like looking at the characters that and, and as we were revamping them how they felt and those were just the two characters that really felt right for it. So we were lucky though that it dovetailed with what, you know, uh a good portion of the Slash fan base would like to see. Although there were a lot of people who really wanted Roxy and Stormer, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, huh. 
Do they have any particular yeah. argument as to why, other than just like liking their hair particularly, or? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, maybe I. I mean, I'm sure they have a reason, but I didn't see any reasons. Um, I I would assume it was just something about like them being on the same band together or something. But you know, Rockley sort of even meaner to Stormer than than Pizzazz in the show. So I don't know. Seems like a stretch to me, but. Yeah, I'm with you there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so one of the things that I, I think people have been really complimentary about the book is is that there are a few pieces of the show's main character narrative that just never quite added up. You know, one of them was the question of, at least to me, uh, was the question of like why is Jem going to be a double a double life for Jerrica? Why does Jem, you know, why does she pretend to be Jerrica and then like lie to all these people about her double identity? And you in the story I found a perfect explanation for it all that like rings, I think emotionally true for a lot of people. Um, you know, most people are too shy to just randomly sing a, a, a poorly written, um, unaccompanied by music parody of a song, even in the beginning of their own podcast, let alone perform <laughs> songs in front of large crowds of people live. Um, so, uh, and Jerrica in the comic is one of those folks who's really struggling with stage fright and Jem being a solution to her stage fright, being able to sort of still perform and share her talent. It was such a great idea. And I was wondering, like, how did you guys come up with that? Well, I knew, you know, like when we found out we were going to be allowed to pitch and we talked about what we wanted to do because initially we didn't know were they uh, to, like, quote unquote reboot it or did we have to like pick up where the last episode left off we had no idea we sort of assumed the latter and so we had come up with this story arc that we thought would be really cool um sophie and i but then when we found out that they did in fact want to kind of start fresh and bring in new readers which i think is the much smarter choice personally um you know it really opened up okay, this is awesome. You know, the downside is we have to tell the origin story again, which, you know, can be a little tedious. The good news is we can go in and really, like, just highlight all the really great stuff that worked so well. We can fix a few of the things that just really didn't work so well. And that was number one, um, was in the show, it's a really tenuous reason for Jem to exist. Like, and there's really kind of no setup for the band being a band, it's like they're just these sisters, these awesome women, and then all of a sudden they pick up instruments and they're winning competitions. Like, there's zero setup of, like, who they are and how they got there and everything. And um, so, you know, we really wanted to correct that, and so Jem needed a reason to exist. And I thought that... I don't know what the initial impetus was. It's just one of those things where as you're doing the research and you're watching the shows and you're, you know, you're trying to come up with what can work, you know, what are the reasons that someone has this kind of persona? And a really obvious one early on was, well, she can't perform and she needs a crutch in order to do that. And, you know, and then making all her sisters really talented musicians and this band that she really wants to be a part of kind of up the stakes on like, you know, making it more than just, oh, she selfishly wants to be a star, you know, not that there's anything wrong with it. You know, it added stakes to be like, well, she wants to keep her sisters together. She wants to do this as a group. And so that kind of added even more tension to, I've got to make this work, not just for me, but for my sisters, for all of us to do this together, you know, and then once you've kind of opened that genie in the bottle, like, it's hard to get it back in, you know, an overnight sensation, this mysterious, you know, character you've created, like, what what are the ramifications of that? So we just thought that all of that was really rife for great drama and an exploration of a great way to look at social media and celebrity in, you know, 2015, as opposed to it might have been like, you know, originally for these women. Just kind of, you know, it's one of those things you hit on something that works and it just opens up a lot of doors for the kind that you want to tell. Um, I was a little bit disappointed. I saw a few people online talking about these were always powerful women, and by giving Jerrica stage fright and making her, like, small in the in the preview pages, I guess they're referring to, like, we'd really diminished her. That really bummed me out because, 
there's nothing wrong with being small and having stage fright. Like that doesn't make you a less powerful person or, or, you know, it just means you have something you're trying to get over and work through and it just makes you human and flawed like all of us. So, um, you know, I, I think it's something very relatable for most people. Mm, that's a really great point. Well, really uh, Jim point. Morrison started performing with his back to the stage, right? Or at least mm-hmm. that's what the movie version says. The movie says, um, yeah. <laughs> so, so I, that's, I know it's a weird bridge, but I'm going somewhere with this. Um, so so are there any kind of particular bands or, or rock and roll history or anything like that that you guys are going to be signifying on or looking to, to, to build from in that respect? Um, I mean, I think maybe as we go on, I, you know, I, I, I definitely did a lot of research, both, you know, rewatching the show and like really paying attention to some of those beats. And then, you know, especially for doing music, I've been listening to a lot more music and I've been reading a lot more articles about pop stars and things like that. And, you know, just, but I do think there's a point with research where, I don't know, kind of becomes the snake that eats itself. You know, you've kind of done too much and then you start to kind of cripple yourself as to doing something creative that breaks free from something else you saw or whatever. Um, So I I think it's a more general, less specific. I think I'm more interested in, like, the demands on rock stars and pop stars and, like, how they deal with that celebrity and why our culture insists on those people kind of being perfect, you know, be skinny, but not too skinny, be charming, but not arrogant, be gorgeous, but not too confident, be, you know, be sexy, but not too sexy. Like, it's ridiculous. And, you know, in that context, like, I think Sophie actually said this originally when we were first working on it, like, you can actually look at creating an alter ego as a pretty, you know, it's like an insane response to an insane demand, right? Like you're mm-hmm. asking for something absolutely impossible. So here, have something impossible. Have this completely mythical, unattainable, make-believe thing and, you know, and just accept it. Here you go. And and people eat it up, right? Because it is perfect because it's not real. And um, I think we're trending more kind of generals in that way and like society demands and culture demands and media demands and stuff like that. Kind of going off of that, um, I mean, obviously the kind of stardom's totally shifted from when Jem was on TV to like today. Now that you have all you know social networking and um, reality TV and all that, like how much commentary or kind of winks and nods to that are you going to be exploring in the series? I think there's a lot of that stuff. I mean, you know, it's still really early on. We're only a few issues in, of course, so we're going to see how it evolves. But, I mean, I think there's, in probably more subtle ways, we're working a lot of that stuff in. I mean, there's a performance at one point in the second issue where there's, like, a Twitter feed underneath, right, and you're, like, seeing this kind of constant commentary and whatever. Like, Kimber makes one of my favorite jokes about, you know, looking at someone leaving a mean comment on their video. You know, and I think for, I think even more so than, you know, you have to remember in the original show, you actually start out with them being, and, and then they like go back and it's like Jericho telling the story of how they got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are, they are kind of overnight sensations in a more cartoonish way, I think. But, you know, that happens now, right? You're in your band rehearsing for five years, 10 years, a year, whatever it is. And if you can find something that goes viral, I mean, your life can completely change overnight. And I think, We'll be dealing a lot with that, especially as things heat up for them in the second arc of like, you know, if you're still trying to, you're still young and you're still kind of figuring out from what you're about and you're put under that kind of intense fame pressure that comes from social media sensation, like, you know, what's, what does that, what does that do to you? What does that break down? How does that split relationships? You know, that kind of stuff. Mhm. We 
with with what you guys uh, are working on for the comic now, do you have like a story arc that's planned out going a long way in the future, or are you going to kind of be changing things as time goes on um, and sort of seeing how different stories are responded to by the fans? Uh, well, I think, um, you know, first of all, we only get to keep going as long as we're popular. You know, it's comics, so um, it's an ongoing, but, you know, how long we get to go depends on how long people love us. Um, the current hopeful plan that that's been plotted out, as far as I'm concerned, is this first arc goes six issues, and then Sophie takes a break, and we'll bring in another artist for the second arc. And I know what that arc's about. And then that is either four or five issues. And then Sophie comes back for the third arc. And the third arc is the original story that she and I had come up with back when we didn't know if we were rebooting or not. So it'll all be kind of... And that one's pretty epic. That'll be another six issues. And that one is... I mean, I like all... I like everything we've got planned. And I think everything we'll be building to that as far as character and dynamic contrast between the two bands and like what's happening to them to get us to that third arc that is super cool. And I really hope we get to do. That's really cool that you guys have that much planned out in those ways. Um, I, I, I like that you're going to be getting some big picture storytelling about it. I'm going to miss her yeah, I, art while she's out, but I understand it's largest deadlines, like the amount of work that you have to do is just crazy. So well, not only that, I think, um, you know, as we all have a lot of her own work, that's really important to her. And so, you know, if she just does gems, she doesn't get to do any of that. She's doing Shadow Eyes. Um, I think it's, I'm not sure. I think it's a reprint with um, a, like a collected edition Shadow Eyes uh, version of Shadow Eyes. Um, she's doing that with um, Spike Trotman. Uh, in the fall, so I know she has a lot of work to do for that. Her fans are very anxious to have the next Shadow Eyes as well as the next Wet Moon. So, you know, she's got to take some time and do her own projects, um, as well as it just helps her, you know, keep fresh and, like, not want to kill me. Uh, I made her draw a Ferris wheel and a motorcycle in the third issue, and she's ready to stab me with her eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) At least least the motorcycle. At least the motorcycle we negotiated. I mean, I just wrote the Ferris wheel into the issue, and I was like, she's going to hate me, like, as I was writing it, typing, typing, typing. But then with the motorcycle, I was like, I have this thing I want to do, but you'd have to do a motorcycle. And she was like, are you kidding me? And I was like, I'm sorry. And she was like, all right, I'll do it. She's like, you can write it in, but you've got to give me X, Y, and Z. I was like, all right, done. So, oh, my God. So it just means that going to be... Does this mean that the misfits are going to be coming in on guitar-shaped motorcycles, like in the comic book? <laughs> well, she she I mean, like totally wants show. to do that. She totally yeah. wants to do that, so that might also happen. This was a separate motorcycle incident. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah, those are a headache, anything machinery-wise. Well, it depends who you are, but to do. Um, <laughs> it feels like you guys are flushed out. Um, these little character profiles that have been shared online and in the back of the comic really nicely into little encapsulations. Do you have, like, a different story arc worked out for the different characters within it at this point? Um, I think, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, I think we know, you know, it's funny doing those little bios, which was supposed, just supposed to be, like, a really, a, like, a fun little PR thing, they were actually a great exercise for kind of, you know, because I had written pages and pages about all the characters and where we were doing these things and the plotting, and I had all this stuff. But, you know, it's kind of those little things that you forget to think about that are in that bio that actually crystallized a few things for me about, like, who they are and how they interact and stuff. Um, I think I think Kimber's arc, she's so ambitious, as you can see, even from the first issue and because we know that she's going to be pursuing the relationship with Stormer and probably there will be some some drama attached to that like her arc is pretty clear, Jem's arc is very clear, you know, what she's going through, the Rio stuff Um, Aja and and Shayna are a little more nebulous, I mean I know things I'd like to do with them but they haven't crystallized into 
you know, completely clear individual arcs beyond the how they are in the group and how they are in the band and all of that. And I miss true kind of for all of the misfits, except for Stormer because of the relationship with Kimber. There's some clear points that are already plotted out. For the rest of them, it's a more general arc that I think is going to develop more as we go along. Um, so yes and no. I think it's kind of a bag. Do you have a bit of a playlist in your mind for when you're writing the lyrics that you have? I know there's some song lyrics in the first issue. I'm sure there will be a lot more coming out. Um, I, I, do you have, like, a playlist of songs that you're thinking of, um, even if they're not explicitly I, referenced in the comic? Yeah, I I have playlists for both Gem and for the Misfits that I use when I write. Not when I write music, because that gets a little difficult, but just when I write generally. But I, I kind of don't like to tell people what's on there, because I don't want people to attach too specifically to, you know, personal vision of what the misfits exactly sound like or my personal vision of what gem sounds like. I mean, that's one of those things where, you know, the cartoon really had an advantage because it could tell you exactly what they sound like. Right. And since we don't have that advantage, I'd prefer to, you know, step back from that a little bit, do what we can within the comic, but then let people attach their own idea of what that means or sounds like. I mean, I think the thing I like to say is that, they probably sound more alike than people tend to think in the sense that they would have to have overlapping audiences. Otherwise, why are they competing against one another? So I like uh-huh. to say that they're kind of in the same, they're kind of in the same room. They're kind of in the same circle. And then Gem and the holograms skew a bit more accessible, a bit more pop, more commercial. And the misfits skew a bit more inaccessible, a bit harder to pin down less popular um and and probably more complex in in their in in a way um you know a little darker or whatever which of course drives the misfits crazy because they really believe in their music and their songs are better and maybe they are the cartoon yeah. certainly supposes that they are um and Gemini yes. holograms are here getting this crazy success you know right out of the gate so it makes them very good foils in that way yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always these questions about who's a sellout and who just genuinely is creating music that is a popular because that's what they're attracted to doing, you know. Um, right. That, those, those, yeah. And as teenagers, and I mean, these women are young adults and not teenagers, but as teenagers especially, that was serious, deep sources of conflict amongst my fellow subculturally aligned peers in school. Um, like, who was a sellout and who was a poser? Like, these were really important topics. I, I, is that something that people would be talking about in the comics? Do kids I'm care sorry, about the posers anymore? Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. I said, I said do, wait, do kids care about who's a sellout and who's a poser anymore? Or is every, everything is prefab and that's okay? Or um, is that something which folks might be talking about in the comics some? Um, I don't know if they're going to, well, I think the Misfits, yes, the Misfits say that right out. Like, you'll see in the second issue, when the Misfits see the gem video, which is one of my favorite scenes, and one of the scenes she wanted to kill me for, because she's like, I'm sorry, how many characters are in this panel? I'm like, all of them, all of them, all of them. No, uh, their reaction to the gem and the holograms video is very, um, I don't think they use the word posers, but it's very much that same sensibility. It's like, who are these, like, they came out of nowhere, this is crap, they're not good, they're pop. Like, And even while some of them are like, I don't know, that looks pretty good, I don't even know how they did some of that stuff, because, of course, they have synergy, so you they wouldn't know how you could do some of that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, still, just fine, no, they suck. So I think... Yeah, I think that's, I mean, and I don't think that's gone away. I mean, I've long, long gone from high school, but I was watching a, um, you know, I live in New York, and, like, hipsters, I mean, hipsters are a thing, man, and it's really annoying sometimes. <laughs> I don't but that that is that feels like a poser thing to me all the time. And, and people don't want to be called hipsters. Defiance. Uh, I watched a Judge Judy once where, or whatever, whoever the people's court is now, I don't even know who it was. 
And one of the things that they were being sued over was because they were angry because they called him a hipster. And she was like, is that a bad thing? And the person was like, it's a really bad thing. And I just thought, wow. People get upset about labels, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, that's an interesting thing to look at in, 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 the, in the comic in here. I, I live in New York also, and I was like, was in Williamsburg for about 10 years, so I always would say that oh, the yeah, number one you know of somebody is a hipster as if they deny being a hipster, which I see crazy. There's nothing, <laughs> it's not an accusation. It's, it's so people treat it that way. And there was a lovely comic, gosh, is it Matt Boyce who did it, where there's a lineup of characters and each one is accusing the other one of being a hipster, and it begins with, like, yes. a guy who's really not a hipster. At the end, there's, like, a unicorn. Then there's, like, Kip from a TV on the radio, and at the last one, there's, like, a, a unicorn with a cigarette and a beret. That's like the ultimate hipster that even 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 the guy from Kissing on the Radio would be the best. Yeah. The theory of hipster relativity. Yeah. It's like the greatest comic of all time. So anyway, um, that's very cool. Well, I understand why you don't want to release like um, a, a list of the songs, but I'm so I kind of wish I had them anyway. I I, I love when creators do this. Well, um, how about I give you? Um, how about I give you? I'm not gonna give you the playlist, but I'll give you a band and a video that a specific video song band that I thought was super misfits when I watched it, which is the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's Phenomenon. Nice. I don't know if mm. you know that song, but that to me is very, pizzazz especially, even more than the band as a whole. But like uh, Sophie likes to say Paramore, um, that's mm-hmm. not as much my sensibility, but when I watch that video, like, I can see where she's getting that, and I can, like, come along on that train. But, like, you can see, I mean, one of the most fun nights we had was, and I can't even, I guess we had just found out we had gotten Gem, that they wanted to do it. And so we were going back and forth with a lot of things, like, you know, makeup pins on Pinterest and, you know, and stuff. It was really fun. But then we started looking at, like, videos on YouTube and we were kind of sending them back and forth. And, you know, she would send me something great, but that was, like, super hardcore. And I was like, no. I was like, because I love that. That's great. And in some alternate reality, that is the misfits. But, like, the person who listens to that, there's no way they ever listen to, I don't know, Katy Perry's Teenage Dream. Like, you're not continuing right. the same you're this and this, Right. So yeah. I, to me, it's more nuanced. Like, um, are you familiar with um, Fever Ray and um, um, the Knife? Right? Same. No. Nope. Same singer. So so look so look that up because she's the same singer in two bands, and they're both excellent. But one of them, uh, the Knife, is more commercial. And so they sound similar, but they're different. So I think I think the Misfits and Gem are a little bit further apart than Fever Ray and the Knife, but it's it's sort of more like that to me. Um, not that they sound like that, but like that kind of vibe. I mean, I think Gem to give you one to give you one name, like one video. Um, the video maybe is a little intense for Jem. They're maybe a little more sweet and good than this, but the song itself, um, Icona Pops, I love it. That would be a oh. good kind of. <laughs> yeah, my my brother actually works for them. <laughs> and, uh, well, there you go. <laughs> I, I, will, I, I, will, I will relay that back to, to them. I bet they would. I, I mean, they're a little bit younger, but I'm sure they would know and appreciate that. That's awesome. Um, but. Cool. I love I love them and I love that video and it's it's maybe like I said it's maybe a little edgier kind of the good girl image that Jem and the holograms have but that sound is not that far off to me like that would be a song that's on my Gem playlist awesome. the same way phenomenon well, thank you. is a song by the on the Misfits playlist this is great I have this is a scoop I have not caught um, anywhere else yet so thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> It reminds me, too, one of the things is, like, so here you are making a comic that's based off of a 
piece of a TV show that is like super super 80s in every way, including the visual aesthetic of it, the color schemes and all that, being very Lisa Frank. And you are doing an updated version of it, but it would be so sad to lose all the 80s in it. And you guys have done a great job of taking that same color palette and sort of new wave feeling and having it not, it doesn't look like a complete, it doesn't look like a period piece or a throwback that looks current, but it looks like people who are current but who dig 80s new wave stuff, which to me is like yeah. threading the needle perfectly. Um, I, I think that, that that's sort of hard to do, and you guys definitely achieved it in my opinion. Well, I agree, but I can't take any credit for that. I mean, that is all so great. I mean, like, she runs a lot of stuff by me, and I like to think that I know what it should look like and that I give good advice. Most of the time I've gotten her in trouble a few times, usually with skirt length. But um, I, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think, you know, that's, that's, that's Sophie just being so great at design. And, like, one of my favorite things she did was in this first issue, how she took their actual outfits from the original episode and updated them to like more, for, at least for uh, Kimber, uh, Shana, oh, and wow. Aja. It's amazing. And that Kimber outfit, like forget it. It's incredible. Um, it they're all I, incredible. I, I what really am I talking it. about? Shana's little jacket. I want it all. But um, And then I think um, the color is really important. I think the very first pass Victoria did when we were figuring it out, was, like, a little bright for me, and I was, like, in my notes, I was, like, uh, like, listen, it's gem. I know it's going to be bright, but, like, I don't want it so loud that it, like, hurts to look at the page. And um, Sophie gave this really brilliant note that shows what a great colorist Victoria is, too, because she just, like, took this one little note and then just, like, completely nailed it on the next try, which was... Sophie was like, think Easter. And she even sent like a little, she's like pastels. And she sent like a little thing of like three Easter eggs that were like pink, blue, and purple or whatever. And the next, the next kind of try that, that, that Victoria sent over of a page or whatever, it was just perfect. It was like just the right amount of like sugar and badass and, you know, just kind of, as you said, just kind of threaded the needle perfectly without feeling to feel completely colorful, but not like, oh, my God, my eyes are bleeding. This is too much, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of clothes, are you guys ready for the level of cosplay amazingness that's going to be coming your way at Tom's <laughs> season this year? Because uh, you created characters and costumes that women can wear, like, and will wear. Yeah, I'm super excited. In fact, that was a very early conversation we had with our editor, John Barber, um, was when we were talking, because, you know, Sophie did those fan designs um, back in 2011, just on her own time of the gem stuff, because she loved it. But they were a little futury, you know, like like things stuck on their skin and stuff that weren't really necessarily practical that he did, that she didn't think. And, and John and I, we weren't sure. Like, we love those designs, but we're like, is it practical or whatever? And we had this whole conversation about it. I think it was John that said, he's like, think cosplay we were like perfect yes that's great and that was like this perfect note of like yeah that's exactly what it should be is you know what you look at these fashions and you want to make them and wear them to a convention it should be exactly like the sweet spot so yeah i think it's right in there and the makeup too people are gonna have a lot of fun yeah, if, if anyone's yeah. looking to start out their makeup purchases, you should definitely get the uh, the Urban Decay Electric Palette because if you <laughs> if you look up that palette and the colors in there, if you're good at blending, that's going to be like one of your first stops to capturing what they're doing. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Emma. Well, you know, between you between this, this and the movie, they should between this and the movie, Hasbro should totally do a gem makeup line. Seems like that would make a ton of money. Oh well, yeah, well, yeah. Max, Max Cinderella line was selling out in five minutes. At every yeah, store. exactly. It and the Max huge. Wonder Woman line, right? That did huge too. Yeah, it did. <laughs> I would really much rather people be having their kids playing. Like, I don't care about that. It's new, updated Cinderella. I want people to be sharing the gem with their kids. A much better, like even old gem cartoons. I think is a much more positive thing for 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 kids than. Than even an update the old, Cinderella. 
the old cartoons, man, I mean, you know, you, as an adult, when you look at them, you have to, you know, there's a grain of salt situation there for sure, but they were super empowering, like, yeah. really, like, powerful, smart, funny, ambitious women who were, like, really supportive of their family and of each other and, you know, um, really great role models. Um, misfits, you know, not so much, but... Um, they there were great messages in that, and then you know add to mm-hmm. that the diversity, which was pretty unique for its time, um, and just all the women, which you know you said in your opening is you know you pretty much could write that for me as well, even if I wasn't aware of it as a kid, what I was responding to in Gem, it was certainly that it was all these women, and there were really no other cartoons that were showing me that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Speaking speaking of that, what's I guess kind of what's the lower end of the age range that you guys are targeting with this comic? Because there's a huge nostalgia market, but I think there's also a big opportunity to get um, kids or even like the kids of the readers. Because if you have people who are in their 30s and 40s reading this, they've they've got kids of their own. So I guess what what's the thought on that end about getting kids who don't know what Gem is yet into it? Um, I mean, we definitely don't want to age out. Um, I think we sort of as a guideline when we're doing content, we're kind of aiming for 12 and up kind of age. But, you know, I'm I'm very bad at knowing, and since I don't have children, I'm pretty bad. At, and I was, a like most kids that I know uh, or did know, I always read up a lot. So yeah. it's hard for me to know mm-hmm. what people feel is really appropriate. And I'm sure there's a lot of variety in that answer, quite frankly. I don't think there's anything really inappropriate. The one thing I heard on the first issue was that from a school teacher who really loves the issue, the class on uh, 17 makes it a thing where she, like, can't share it at school, which is certainly something I'll keep in mind in the future. Um, although the I love the word badass. So you were the Sorry. The, what? Uh, the word badass on page Seventeen. Oh. Um, that was like a trigger word that means she kind of can't share it at school. Um, that's something I'll keep in mind in the future. Although I do love the word badass, so it's going to be hard to remove that entirely. But um, I, I think that you know some of the stuff we're going to be exploring maybe is not super interesting to kids under twelve. But I'm not sure. I think mileage varies on that of how mature a kid is. Where it's definitely not. Yeah, I wouldn't call it an all ages book, but 12 and up is kind of the general guideline. And depending on who the kid is and how the parents feel, I think it's probably pretty okay for for kids younger than that in most cases. So you brought cool. it up earlier. Um, how so? There's the big movies coming out in October. Like, how much of that is weighing in on the comic, or how is that much of that's like in your mind? that this is this giant is barreling down on you? Kind of not really at all. I think we're really separate from the movie. I mean, I know almost nothing about it. I certainly don't know anything that people who are out in the world know about it. Uh, I, I have that same amount of knowledge. And I think that's probably a good thing. I mean, I'm sure part of the reason our comic gets to exist is because there's this big push on Gem and the movie brings the profile up and everything, and I hope that that will help us with sales and all of that, but it's not really a consideration for wedding. I mean, we, like I said, we've already planned, assuming people love us and we keep getting to do it, I mean, our story arc is planned out for like like 18 months, basically, so it's not really a factor. It's the only thing kind of gut check where I kind of realized how much I had fallen in love with these characters and I had this such like a real moment where I realized I was going to be going to see them in a theater in the fall, and they would be my characters, but the character, and that that was weird, but it was kind of cool because it would just be a whole different version of that we get to kind of with, and they're awesome in that. So the the timing, like just doing this first, you said the first uh, arc is six issues, so I figured that would be the first trade. If the first trade comes after six issues, that would put it in October. Like, has there been thought of that? Like, was that actually planned out specifically? No, no it wasn't. Or am I overthinking? We were told. <laughs> no, we were 
March, so we were working that, and then at least we thought um, for the first arc, but when we were plotting it, we thought we really needed six to get it done, so it's really just a, a matter of what we needed to get the story. I mean, I think it's a bad thing. If that happens, it's not a bad thing for the trade to be coming out at the same time as the uh, as the movie's releasing. Certainly, let's, let's hope. The the other thing as far as marketing, it's 30 years. Like, this is the 30th anniversary of Gem coming out. Um, is that going to oh, be... Oh, God, no, no. You're going to be so old. Well, I... <laughs> it's not going to help much in the feeling old, and I'm with you on that, but I actually think it's next year, because I think it's 86 that it debuted. Okay. Cause that was the thing. I was looking it up. I could, I, could, like... I could be wrong, but it's it's very hmm? close. It's very close, yes. Yeah, it's like, um, yeah. I mean, they were also kind of fudge it with, like, the Transformers 30th, too, and all that, so... Um. Is there, like, anything been brought up about that for, like, you know, some celebration? Uh, no, not to me. Not to me. Maybe because it's leading into 2016, or maybe they just haven't thought of it yet, or maybe there's a plan. Maybe there's a party and I wasn't invited. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Well, uh, I know we're wrapping up in just a little bit. I wasn't sure, if um, Emma, if you have any other questions you wanted to, to ask now. Uh, no, I, I think most of the notes um, that I had have been covered either by myself or, or anything else that's happened. Uh, I guess the only question I have to ask is um, where the where 1979 semifinals comes from. <laughs> um, it's actually just, uh, although now sort of appropriate, I suppose, since I'm writing music and a, a comic about girls in a rock band, um, it's actually the name of a by the Bad Plus, which is a jazz band, a modern jazz band. Um, it's uh, one of my very favorite songs, and uh, you know, <laughs> it sounds it sounds less. Um, the answer doesn't work as well now. It worked better when I didn't have any kind of successes when things were going really wrong for me. Now that they're going a little bit better, it doesn't make as much sense. But I always kind of feel like a semifinalist. You know, uh, like like the Bad Plus, they also have like 1980 World Champion is a song that they wrote. Like I would never pick that. I don't feel like a world champion ever. Mm. At best, I'm a semifinalist. So, um, but we're going to change that. It, 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 you'll, you'll, you'll get yeah. to world champion <laughs> next next go it around mostly, of, uh, of um, it most- user account names. It mostly comes from, um, you know, having a boring name, Kelly, and by the time you get around to getting a website, social media, all those Kelly Thompsons are gone and not wanting to be Kelly Thompson 18 or whatever. So <laughs> so that's speaking up. My next question was going to be the classic. Um, so where can folks find you online, um, your Tumblr, Twitter handle, things like that? Okay. Twitter is, frustratingly, since it doesn't have enough characters, 79 semifinals. It's 79 semifinals. Um, and Tumblr is 1979semifinalist.tumblr.com. My website is 1979semifinalist.com. All nice and easy. You can nice also find me on Facebook, 1979semifinalist.com. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And are there any other projects you have coming out? I know you've got a graphic novel that's about to be released, right? I have a graphic novel coming out. It's either going to be July or early September. I think the the date is a little up in the air right now. It's called Heart in a Box. It's with um, Dark Horse. It's published. It's uh, all the art the my co co-creator Meredith McLaren. She's also doing the Hopeless Savages with Jen Van Meter that comes out this summer. So it's going to be a very big year for her. So it's a great, it's a great, great book. I'm so proud of the artist. Um, you know, she she just she did all the penciling, inking, coloring, uh, lettering, everything. So uh, it's really the line shown to her and but really beautifully, and I'm really proud of it. Um, and then I'm doing Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps with Kelly Sue DeConnick for Marvel, and that comes out Woo-hoo! the first June in June. 
Yeah. Very I'm exciting. I'm really excited to see you guys working together. That's going to be so cool. I am extremely, extremely lucky. Uh, I super admire, um, and, you know, it's a really great way to, like, get to enter into Marvel with, like, working with someone I admire so much and someone who I can learn so much from. So I am extremely Sorry, can you say that again and break up? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it, I am, it's amazing to get to work with Kelly Sue DeConnick. Uh, it's a great way to get to come into Marvel, um, co-writing with someone and who can teach me so much, and uh, I'm really excited and lucky. It, it looks great. Um, I think we're all excited to to check it out. So we have something to look forward Thanks. to because, you know, Jeb is out Wednesday for everyone, so the, they're going to go and check that out and get all excited, and then you can go and get the new Captain Marvel when that hit shelves. So um, it's going to be a very cool year for you. Yes, it's 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 coming together very nicely after <laughs> a very long time. It's a, I'm hoping it'll be a good a year it's starting out to be, so... Great. Well, I think thanks, all of us thanks appreciate so much you coming for having on. me on, guys. Yeah, no, it's mm-hmm. fun. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a, it was great. I'm sorry about the signal; it's not so great, um, not ideal. But uh, I hope it wasn't too much of a problem. As a podcaster myself, I know it's sort of a nightmare when the signal's not great. I'm sorry. Oh, that's right. You should tell everybody what your podcast is because I've actually listened to it and it is quite good. Your podcast. Oh, thank you. Uh, Three Chicks Review Comics. I do that with um, Sue from DC Woman Kicking Ass, and it's hosted on uh, the Comics Should Be Good website. There we go. Thank you. Yes. It's a very, very great Emma, do you uh, want to tell us where we can find you on? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, you beat me Emma, to do it. Emma, do you want to uh, tell everyone <laughs> where we can <laughs> No, no, I'm not going to tell you anything. No. Um, <laughs> well... <laughs> So I um so just so all the folks in the crowd know, it's not actually gonna be me who's gonna be reviewing uh Gem. I'm just overseeing it as the editor, um, because one of the writers under me is gonna actually be doing it. And her name is Ten Van Winkle, uh and she is absolutely awesome. We have been geeking out for months over this and we're really excited what we're gonna give to you. So you can find her individually on um Twitter as uh at Tenny Boo, so T E N N Y underscore B O O. Um, and you can read her work, my work, all of her stuff at therainbowhub.com. Um, if for whatever reason you need to find me, um, it's my Twitter handle is just my name. So it's E-M-M-A-H-O-U-X-B-O-I-S. Um, if you, uh, I mean, if, if you're a bigger wrestling fan or a comics fan, you're not watching, you're not listening now, you're watching Raw, but, um, my Tumblr <laughs> is like 80% wrestling, 10% Steven Universe, and 10% comics. But that's uh, here comes the woman without fear.tumblr.com. But I think for the most part, anything that anybody should really get excited about is coming from the rainbowhub.com. Excellent. Great. Thank Uh, you. And it's a great great site and got awesome reviews, and uh, I learned a hell of a lot from it. So uh, you should absolutely check it out. So Emma, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a lot of fun. And as we're wrapping up, um, so I, I, you know, obviously, Alana, you have enjoyed the, the comic, and I've enjoyed the comic. Um, I think we can easily give it thumbs up, and people should go out and get it on Wednesday. Yeah, absolutely, and also give it to children. Yes, give it to children everywhere. Uh, and actually, the other thing I should point out is when I posted that we were going to have, I should have said this earlier, when I posted that we were going to have a podcast about Gem on my Facebook page, tons of friends of mine who don't usually care about my comics coverage or even notice when I'm posting podcast promotions clicked to like my post and said how much they loved Gem. So I think this comic has a real crossover potential with non-comics readers who grew up with, who grew up with the show so long as they have a chance to find out it exists. Yeah, I mean, it's... So, uh... I only have vague recollections of the of the cartoon itself. Um, I, I was talking to Emma before the show and said I was probably watching whatever Jem was up against, but, I mean, it's been 30 years, and I still remember the theme songs. It sells, says a hell of a lot. Um, 
but I loved uh-huh. it. Like the the first issue, I think was absolutely great. Um, I would hand it to like a tween daughter in about two seconds. I think it's got even the first issue has got like solid lessons to be learned and is very relatable. Yeah. So, um, yeah, really yeah. really good stuff. And then we will have our review. Um, I'm not doing it. You're not doing it. Edward, who is our prolific reviewer, uh, has a glowing re- review of the comic that will be up tomorrow. Um, he enjoyed cool. it as well. So it's three thumbs up from our site. <laughs> Yay! Universal. I think this. We can easily say this is our pick of the week uh, from Graphic Policy. Yes. All right. Well, I guess we should sign off now. Yes, uh, everyone. Thank you for listening, and again, thank you, Kelly and Emma, for joining us. Um, for those who are listening, you can catch us every single day at graphicpolicy.com. Of course, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all at Graphic Policy. We keep it nice and consistent. Until next time, I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. And keep it geeky.